in Parashat Skukas, we have an episode of the encounter of Klal Yisrael with Edom. It says, the story begins, Moshe sent messengers to the king of Edom asking for passage through his land. Moshe gives the whole story. We went to Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim were bad to us. We called out Hashem. Hashem redeemed us. Now we're here, edge of territory of Edom. Let us pass through your land, and so on. We won't cause any problems. Edom. Edom responded, Lo Savarbi. No, you can't. Pen Yisrael said, We'll stay on the road. We'll pay for the water. Just, just let us pass. Edom said, Lo Savar. Vayomer, Lo Savar. Edom. Edom came out to meet them. Edom. Edom refused to let them pass. And the Jews did not uh, attack. They... They, they, they ate Israel, may I love, the Jews uh, went elsewhere. Meshachachma, I saw when I was looking through the Parsha to prepare the share. Meshachachma says something very, very interesting, a very short comment, but a deeply interesting comment. He points out that three times here we have Edom. Vayomarei love, Edom. Edom said, Vayetzei Edom. Edom went out. Vayimayin Edom. Doesn't say Melech. All these three times, just says Edom said, Edom did, Edom, Edom's position was. Doesn't say Melech Edom. Initially, when the Jews sent Malachim, Moshe sent Malachim, it says, he sent Malachim to Melech Edom. So his messengers were sent to Melech Edom. But in the remainder of the story, it never says anything about Melech Edom. It keeps saying, this is what Edom said, this is what Edom did. No mention of Melech. This is in contrast to another story later in the parsha with uh, Sichon. So it says again, They sent messengers to Sichon. And it said, who is the king of the Amari? After that, it doesn't say Emmer said, Emmer did. It says Sichon. Velonas and Sichon, Vayas of Sichon. That uh, the, the Torah keeps referring to Sichon, not to, to, em, to the Amari. Meshachachma says, why? Why here does it keep saying Edom and not Melech Edom? The king is not even named, but it keeps saying Edom and not Melech Edom. Sichon, he keeps referring to Sichon himself, the king. What's the difference? So the Meshachachma explains this with a interesting terse Gemara in Avodazar, Babli in Avodazar. The Gemara discusses holidays of uh, presumably the Romans in their time, holidays of Avodazar. That's the whole beginning of Avodazar is about this, halachas that pertain to the holidays of Avodazar. So at one point, the Gemara says, that there's a certain holiday, Yom Ginusya, that the, the Yom Ginusya, Rabbi Huda said, that's, that's Shemamidin Bob Dechav Mes Malcolm. That's the day where they inaugurate their kings. So the Gemara says, but the Brisa says, Yom Ginusya, the Yom Shemamidin Bob Malcolm. There are two separate holidays. One is Yom Ginusya, and one of them is when they inaugurate the king. One of them refers to the inauguration of the king himself, and one is to the son of the king when he's invested with, uh, with, uh, with, with the monarchy that his father previously had. The Gemara says that, that implies that they have a succession, a hereditary succession, that a, that a monarchy passes from the son, from a father to the son. Is that true? Do these Ovdevodazara, the Romans, do they have a hereditary monarchy? Vatani Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef says, that there's a pasuk in Ovadia. Ovadia is in one of the triasur. It's all of one parak long. It's all about Edom, and it says, Pasuk in Ovadia, the second pasuk in Ovadia. It says that Hashem says, It's talking about Edom. The, the first pasuk in the first pasuk in first pasuk in Ovadia is Chazon Ovadia Kamar Hashem Edom. And uh, the, the second pasuk, uh, the, the Hashem speaks contemptuously of, of, of Edom. He says, I have made you small among nations. You are contemptible. So, Gemara says, what does that mean? Rav Yosef said, what is They don't have a hereditary monarchy. They don't appoint the son of the previous king. What is They don't have a script and a language. Rashi says they got it from other nations. So, Rashi understands this is talking about Rome. Rashi, both on the Pasuk in Ovadia and on the Gemara, says this is Rome. Uh, 
the Rashi says that the Yom Day and Eretz talking about Romans because all these holidays are Roman holidays, and he brings a riot from the Gemara. The Gemara refers to some of these holidays as Romans, and then in Yirmiyah Rashi says in Yirmiyah there's a very similar pasuk. The, the Gemara's pasuk is in Ovadia, but in Yirmiyah it says Kine Katun Satiha Bagayim Bazui Ba'adam. So Rashi in Yirmiyah, not in Ovadia, but in Yirmiyah Rashi says, "What does Katun Satiha mean? Shein Bahem Melech Ben Melech." That there is no, they don't, no hereditary malchus. In Rome, the custom was the monarchy was not hereditary. I'm not so well versed in Roman history. This seems to be a reference to the Roman Republic. Roman, Rome existed for a while as a republic with a senate, with some kind of democracy. Not exactly modern democracy, but some kind of system where there was no absolute monarch and there was. Uh, and, and, and the people had power, and, the, and they, 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 there was somebody who was in charge, but, but it, was, it, was a, it was a republic, not an empire. Around 27, uh, around, around the year 27 before the Common Era, Rome switched into a, an empire. It became an empire with, now they had emperors after this, Augustus and other emperors, and then it typically was hereditary, but not always, but it was frequently, typically during the period of the empire, it actually was hereditary, but the, the Gemara. So the Gemara was written, presumably the Amoraim were around in the time of the Roman Empire, but somehow they seem to be referring to the earlier period, where, where it was a republic and it was not a hereditary monarchy. Okay. Right before the before the Republic, the, the old Kingdom of Rome, which was before the Republic, then also it was a, nor, a, nor, a normal kingdom. So for Chazal to say that Rome doesn't have Melech and Melech, they, they presumably referred to the time of the Mishnah, which was which time much of the time of the Mishnah, which was which was the Roman Republic. Not sure, but anyways, what does it have to do with us? What does it have to do with the Pesukim in Parshas Chukas? So the Meshachach has a very brief but fascinating comment. He says. Even though initially it mentions Melech Edom, the reason that re- afterwards it repeatedly makes no mention of Melech, he says, unlike Sichon, is because who was in charge in Edom? Parliament. He said, They had a people's council. Parliament, he says. He transliterates Parliament. It says in that, that, that he says Edom doesn't have a hereditary monarchy. And then he says, the Meshachachma understands that's linked with democracy. He says, in democracies, the, the, the head of state is not a hereditary position. It, it, theoretically, you could have one or the other. But first of all, today, obviously, there are, there are constitutional monarchies that are hereditary broad democracies. That's because the king, has, king or queen has no real power. You could theoretically have a, have a system of a democracy with checks and balances and other you know, senate or a parliament being, have, having, having some oversight over the monarch who is hereditary. But the Meshachachma understands in general, that's, I guess, what history shows as well, in general, monarchy is not compatible with a, uh, a hereditary monarchy is not compatible with democracy. When Chazal told us that Edom doesn't have Melech ben Melech, Edom does not have a, Edom does not have a hereditary monarchy, what Chazal are saying was that Edom was a democracy. Edom had a parliament. Maybe not exactly like modern United States, but Edom had a democracy, he says. He says, B'makum she'ina malchus yirusha, yirusha, in a case where the malchus is not hereditary, ikur kedasam, the people, the people's voice is, uh, the people are in charge. And that's why it says, Vayomer Edom, Vayomayin Edom, because it was a democracy. The people, the, the people made decisions. Sichon was Yerushalayim. No, it says, it says in Dvarim, it says, Vanacho Sovest. But no, we smote Sichon and his son, implying that he was the crown prince. Okay, so that, that's, what, that's what the Meshachachma says. Edom, again, Chazal said, based on Ovadia, that Katon is Haticha Bagayim. We don't have to assume that was true in the time of the Chumash. It was in Nebuah of Edom, hundreds and hundreds of years later, many hundreds of years later, that Hashem said uh, a Nebuah for Edom. It doesn't follow. That was the, whether, it was, whether, the, whether Chazal meant by that the Roman Republic or they meant some other period, hard to know. But, but either way, hard to know for sure. But either way, it doesn't necessarily follow that this was always true of Edom, even hundreds of years earlier in the time of Moshe and Klaus from the desert. But that's what Meshachachma assumes. This is uh, a permanent, uh, eternal aspect of Edom, they have democracy rather than hereditary monarchy, and that's why it says Vayomer Edom, Vayimayin Edom. Now, the implication of this Meshachachma is that democracy is a degenerate form of government. Edom, the, the Pasuk is, is speaking critically of Edom. The Pasuk says, Katon Esaticha Bagayim, Bazuyatamod. The Pasuk is uh, speaking, speaking in a contemptuous way about Edom. So, according to Meshachachma, it seems to follow 
that he views democracy as a second-rate, degenerate form of government, or a proper government as a monarchy. Edom is contemptible. Edom has uh, a pathetic democracy, which is a remarkable thing to say. The Meshachachma is, is always a fascinating and brilliant thinker, in some ways very modern. And some, we, we mentioned, brief, mentioned recently his idea that the Geula, that, 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 that the Kalah Yisrael, as a matter of pride, wanted their own, uh, to win on their, own, on their own strength or their own military victories, not just rely on Hashem. Meshachachma is, uh, is a deeply interesting thinker. In this case, though, the position he takes is a... Uh, very reactionary one that he implies, he doesn't say this explicitly, but the implication would seem to be that democracy, he can, he's, 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 he's considering a degenerate form of government. Not all, not all Chachamim agree. Not all Chachamim and Aramisera agree. The Torah does say, Som melech, which Kipshuto means is a mitzvah to appoint a melech, and a melech is not a democratic official. A melech is a, uh, a monarch, an absolute monarch. However, there are some Chachamim within Aramisara that were also not uh, so thrilled with, with monarchy and thought democracy might be at least a viable alternative, if not actually uh, a better idea than monarchy. The most famous and important of these is, is, is Abarbanel. Abarbanel is always, also always interesting and is always the most, his, at his most fascinating when he's writing about governance and leadership and politics. He knew of which he, he knew of what he spoke. He was uh, he was he, he was a highly placed official in the courts of the kings of Portugal and Spain, Spain and Portugal, and he was a he was a subject of intrigue. He writes about it himself. These incredibly dramatic accounts of his midnight flight when he heard the king's advisors had por- poisoned the king's mind against him, and he had to flee, and he barely made it over the border before the king's men uh, would have caught up with him. Anyway, so he knew he knew of what he knew he knew he knew of what he of what he spoke. And he, in several places in his writings, he is very, very pessimistic about monarchy, and he thinks democracy is a much better idea. Again, he didn't have modern Western democracies, but there were, there were some countries and states in his time that were more democratic, and he holds them up as an example of uh, ideal government. One place he talks about this at great length is in Parsha Shoftim, where the mitzvah of appointing a melech is. He says, we have to discuss, he says... Is a melech essential? Do, do nations need, need melech, or, or can they have other forms of, of government? He says, he, says, he says, what is a melech? When we say melech, what do we mean? So he says, politically speaking, we mean three things. We mean ha'achtus v'heder ashituf. Power is concentrated in one person. He doesn't share power with other people who can balance him out. One person has all the power. Hasheni ha'asmada v'heder achiluf. Uh, permanence, and he, he, he's not limited in his term, unlike democratically appointed elected officials who have limited terms, and then whether you, whether, whether you allow term limits or not, they have to be appointed again. The point is, we don't have president for life, we don't have senator for life, we have some Supreme Court, some ju- judges are our life, but most political uh, figures in, in a democ- modern democracy are not, don't have their positions permanently, they have a limited limited time position. That's Characteristic number two of a monarchy, it's permanent, it's, uh, it's unlimited, unlimited in time. So the, first one, the first one was power is concentrated in one person. The second one is that he's not limited in, the, in, the, in his term of service. Absolute power. So he can do anything. He's, he's, not, he's not limited by a constitution, by rules, by, 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 a, by a government of laws. So all these three things, he says, if this is how we define, if these are the, the, these are the signature characteristics of a monarchy, are these things required for effective government? Absolutely not. He says, Seichel, Seichel tells us that. Why should you need these things? Why can't you govern effectively by leaders who have limited power and limited terms in office? Well, why, why is that so hard to accept that that would be uh, an effective way of government? Why do you think one person can be trusted with power more than multiple? If one person, Lachari, can more easily go bad than a group of people. And then he says, and, and who needs who needs Tainas Sichlius? Who, who needs theoretical arguments, he says? Nisayon, experience, and empirical evidence, he says, shows us that uh, monarchy is not so necessary. In another, in, in another parallel discussion to this point, in Sefer, in Sefer, in Sefer, Shmuel, we, we, we discussed, uh, the, the, where, where they asked for a king in Shmuel's time. Abarbanel says also, yeah, Aristotle told us that the theory is, the theory is fine, but he said, Aristotle told us, 
Aristotle and the Greeks are sometimes criticized for relying too heavily on theory and on ideal conceptions of how the world should work rather than actually doing the hard work of making observations and getting their hands dirty with experiments. But Aristotle, according to Barbernell, told us that that experiment, experience, counts for more than uh, can trump and overcome uh, theory. So he says that, Barbernell tells us in these various places that who does better? He says Rome. He says Rome, and now again, I'm not so familiar with Roman history, but he says that Rome... He says it had its, uh, it, the zenith of its power, he says, its world domination was when it was uh, run by consuls, some, some, some kind of officials, he says. But after they had Caesar, the, the, the fall of the Roman Republic, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. I'm not sure this works out historically. From my very quick Wikipedia, Wikipedia reading, it sounds like Rome actually had the Pax Romana one of the greatest, it, it did do very well as a republic, but apparently it had one of its greatest periods of peace and expansion in the early part of the empire, so I'm not sure how Barbanel seems to think that it did clearly better as a republic than as an empire. You have to ask a, uh, Roman historians whether that's true or not. That's what he claims. Rome did better, had, had much more success, military success, uh, imperial success as a, as a republic than an empire. And then he says, and then he, and then he what, what he really admired was the democratic governments of his time, he says, which are basically the Italian city-states. Then Italy wasn't a unified country then. There were a bunch of states that, that, that had their own governments and their own powers, and then these were powerful countries, power, power, militarily powerful, great business centers, and culturally powerful. He says, Ad hayom, Malchus Venezia, Republic of Venice, Hagveres, Rabasi Bagayim, Sarasi Bamadinos, the noble and lordly among other nations, Malchus Florencia, the Republic of Florence. Tzvihu l'chal ha'aratzos, the model and ideal for other lands. Malchus Genova, Genoa. Tchilu Takifa, mighty and fearsome. Veluca, Republic of Luca. Siena, Republic of Siena. Bologna, Bologna. Malchus Acheros, Ein Melechbehem, all these all the other, other countries, other states, no kings. They, they just have uh, leaders of, of limited terms. Um, and these are what he calls Malchios Yesharos, upright, upright governments, Aimbahem Niftal Viikesh, no corruption, no uh, no, uh, no 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 bad behavior. called Varpesha, everyone behaves himself, it's the countries of law. He was writing during the during the Renaissance. The Italians were famous also for, for their corruption and murders, the, the Borgias and the, the pal intrigue and, and, and all the plenty of corruption, but I guess compared to some of the monarchies of Europe, he was favorably impressed. He thought they made a good uh, contrast. Hey, they, they conquer lands, he says, Vidas. You don't need a Melech, he says. Melech is very dangerous, a Melech can become uh, a dictator and corrupt easily, he says. Abarbanel does not feel that, the, that, that, that a Melech is necessary or ideal. He thinks democracies are great. Now, obviously we have to address, and the Torah tells us to appoint a monarch. If democracy is so great, why does the Torah tell us to appoint a Melech? And the truth is that there is a famous stira that, that Abarbanel deals with, that others deal with as well, that... On the one hand, in Pasha Shoftim, it says that Hashem says, that you shall appoint a king. However, on the other hand, in Sefer Shmuel, when they asked for a king, Hashem and Shmuel were very upset. That, that Hashem, they felt it as a betrayal, that they were rejecting, Hashem said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, they're rejecting the Torah, they're rejecting Hashem. Hashem is very upset that they asked for a melech. He doesn't punish them immediately, but the Hashem is not happy with their choice. Why not? It's a mitzvah. Why shouldn't they ask? Before Hashem struggled to explain if it's, if it's a mitzvah, why, why was Hashem upset? Furthermore, this was hundreds of years after they entered Eretz Canaan. The Pasuk in Dvarim says, in Pasha Shoftim, el you will take possession and, and settle the land. You will say, I, I wish to appoint a melech upon myself. So appoint a king. So hundreds of years passed, the whole period of Yeshua and the Shoftim, until Sefer Shmuel. They didn't ask for a king. Why? It's a mitzvah. Kleisel didn't know he's act correctly, but for hundreds of years, they were vatal this mitzvah. Why? If it's really such a mitzvah, why were they happy to, to work with the Shoftim for centuries? Abarmanel has a somewhat radical approach. He says there is no mitzvah to appoint a king. He says other forms of government are perfectly fine. When the Torah says appoint a king, 
the Torah is, it's sort of like Yifas Torah. The Torah is Dibra Torah connected to Hara. He says, it's like, he says, the Torah means, if you want to appoint a king, I'm not saying you should, but if you want to appoint a king, do it in this way. Don't appoint a foreigner. Do it al pi Hashem. If you want to appoint a king, at least do it right. But, but Hashem is not telling you to appoint a king. It's like Yifas Torah. If you find a captive... And you uh, and you and, and you are seized by passion for her. Torah is not telling you to do that. The Torah is telling you if you do, then there's a framework in which you can do it. He says. He says another example. He says uh, it says we're going to read this soon. I think that's Tishabav or the, the we read that uh, that that talks about you're going to do terrible things and Hashem is going to punish you. So is that what the Torah means? When, when, when you enter Eretz Yisrael, the Torah is telling you, it's not, it's not telling you to do that, it's a terrible Avera. It means, if you do that, then you should do tshuva. Not, not everything the Torah says will happen is the Torah saying should happen. The Torah says if certain things happen, then act accordingly, then rectify it, then do it within this framework. The Torah is not telling you you should appoint a king, he says. He says that the chen ha-melech, it's not a mitzvah, it's a rishus, and it's mipoel yetzer hara. The mitzvah is, if you do it, at least do it right. Appoint the king, that, uh, that let Hashem choose, mikarabachecha, and so on. He brings numerous proofs in support of this. But Abarnel is so convinced that a king is not essential, it's not even a particularly good idea, that he's not even willing to say that appointing a melech is a mitzvah. It's just like Yifastar. If you do it, here's how to do it. Okay. Chazalim cells bring different opinions, I believe. We're not going to get into this now. They bring different opinions as to, as to whether it's a mitzvah, what kind of mitzvah it is. But Abarnel is so convinced that democracy... Uh, kind of the opposite of the Meshachach. Meshachach says, Bozu means democracy, parliament. Rabbi Nel says, democracy is great. It's, uh, the Torah is not telling you to, have to, to appoint a melech. If you want to, then have a melech. But uh, democracy is a perfectly, is a perfectly uh, valid form of government. The Nitziv, the Nitziv split, the Nitziv takes an in-between position. The Nitziv is also a, you know, a little bit earlier than Meshachach, but the Nitziv is, uh, I guess, in a, a relatively close to the modern era also. And he, he doesn't come out like the Barbanel and talk about how bad kings are and say that democracy is great, but he also doesn't say that democracy is bad. And he also has a very interesting reading of the Pesukim and Shoftim to, uh, to, to align with his view that democracy and monarchy are both valid alternatives. He says, it's not simply a mitzvah, he says. When the Torah says, appoint a king, it's not a regular mitzvah like putting on tefillin, he says, because it says... The, tar- the language of the Torah is Kisavu el ha'aretz asher Hashem alokecha nosein lach v'yirishtav yashavtaba v'amarta simalai melech. The Torah doesn't say when you wake up in the morning and you say I want to put on tefillin. Here's how to put on tefillin. It's not up to you. It doesn't matter whether you say or you don't say. Put on tefillin. Whether you it's not it's not your choice. Hashem says put on tefillin. Eat matzah. Take the lokachem chem b'yamarish. It doesn't say if you want to take. Uh, four species on circus. These are the four species you should take. It says take the four species. How come here it says The Torah first said, and you will say What's that all about? Says the says in the Tiv and Hamikdaver that ultimately it is Klal Yisrael's choice as to whether they want a melech or not, or, or they want democracy. He says. Now it is a mitzvah. He's not saying it's not a mitzvah. It is a mitzvah. He says. The the mitzvah, but the mitzvah is triggered by Klal Yisrael's choosing monarchy. Klai Yisrael has to decide whether they want monarchy or democracy. If they decide they want a monarchy, then there's a mitzvah. So it's similar to the Barbanel, but the Barbanel is just saying it, it's more like halachas is how to do it. The, that if you do it, here's how to do it. The the, the is saying it is a mitzvah, but the mitzvah is only triggered by Klai Yisrael's decision. Once they decide they want one, then it becomes a mitzvah to actually appoint one. Is there any other mitzvah like that? that? That's only if they want, then it becomes a mitzvah. Yeah. It is a little odd, I agree. Okay. Uh, again, it's similar to the Barbanel. I guess the Torah has certain rules for how it should be done, but the way he says it, then it's, it's actually a mitzvah to appoint the melech. Yeah, it, it is an interesting structure. He says something very interesting to justify this. He says, the Torah can't possibly tell you that it's a mitzvah necessarily, specifically, to appoint a monarch as opposed, to, as opposed to democracy, he says. I would have just said because once he assumes it's not always the best system, it makes sense that Torah wouldn't tell, wouldn't, wouldn't tell you that. But he goes even further. He says the Torah couldn't even tell you that, he says, because it wouldn't even be a, a valid mitzvah. It wouldn't even make sense, he says, because 
when it comes to private individuals, the Torah tells you what to do and you do it. When it comes to the nation, when it comes to such a profoundly important question of government, he says, even if there would be a mitzvah, it wouldn't be binding, we would just ignore it, he says, because the, it's pikoch nefesh, he says. The, the, the correct uh, governance and leadership of the people is literally a matter of life and death, he says. And he says, Sakana Sefashis overrides mitzvahs. So even if there would be a mitzvah, we would just override it. If we thought democracy was, was a better system, we, we would override the mitzvah because at the end of the day, having the right government is a matter of pikuach nefesh. And I would override the mitzvah. So there can't even be a mitzvah, he says. Tremendous chedush, a tremendously provocative thing to say. I mean, some mitzvahs override pikuach nefesh. The Torah told, for example, the Achronim say, the Torah told you to make war against Amalek, against Dainamin. What about pikuach nefesh? Does that mean we should say, well, war is dangerous? People die in war. So I'm going to ignore the mitzvah? Of course not. The Torah knows war is dangerous and tells you to do it anyway. So you do it. Of course you do it. So the. There obviously are mitzvahs where the Torah, t- there are certain cases where the Torah told you Yahari Balyavar. We don't just say, well, I'm going to ignore that because Bikoch Nefesh. The Torah told you, it's an exception to Bikoch Nefesh. So the, so, the, so the fact that Torah could, if the Torah felt it was important enough to have a monarchy, it could tell you that, to do it anyway, even if you think it's Bikoch Nefesh. Okay, but the Nitziv says it's just such a, it's alien to the thought of the Torah to give you a mitzvah that would be a matter of Bikoch Nefesh. Which, which, again, is a tremendous thing. This is, this is a question they discuss in Israel today all the time. We have questions about, should the government officials keep Shabbos? Should they, should they do various training exercises on Shabbos and the military, this and that? Should they keep, should they keep hospitals open on Shabbos? Should they run uh, municipal electricity on Shabbos? So Postkim often try to analyze these questions uh, from a simple question of Pikoch Nefesh. It is, it's not. But Ziv is telling us that, that, that when you deal with profound questions that are important to the, the very success of the nation, they're almost by definition Bikoch Nefesh. That, that if you're deciding on something so basic as the form of government, that by definition is Bikoch Nefesh, and it automatically overrides mitzvahs, he says. So that's, that's a very powerful idea. But I'll call upon him the, what, what he says, Lemaise, is that the Torah is not actually telling you to appoint a monarch as opposed to a democratic government. He says, he says the, this is, I guess, not such a modern, this part is not so modern. He says, there are some nations better suited for monarchy and some nations better suited for democracy, he says. There, there are some nations that if they didn't have a strong leader like a monarch would be like Sfina Bali Kabarnit, like a ship without a captain, a rudderless, uh, helmsmanless ship, and they, and they would be in trouble. There are other nations, though, which can't tolerate the, the stern authority of a monarch. They need democracy, he says. So the nation has to decide what's better for itself, what, what will be a better system of government for itself, and once they decide that, then if they want monarchy, then it's a mitzvah to appoint a monarchy. So we have the Meshachachma, again, who doesn't say much, but would seem to imply that democracy is a degenerate form of government. We have the Avarbanel who says democracy is great, it's, uh, it's, it's less problematic and more, more effective and better than, uh, than monarchy. Adkadekach, that he says the Torah is not even telling us that we, have to, that we must have a monarchy. And we have the Nitziv. The Nitziv says they both have their places, Different, different, nat- different nations, different societies need one or the other. A nation has to decide which one it needs, which one it wants. And once it decides that, if it wants monarchy, then it's a mitzvah to appoint a monarch. One other uh, interesting achron, my, my brother-in-law, my Wiederblank, once, once brought this to my attention. One other source on this topic is a, a brief comment to the Karanara. So the Karanara is a classic halachic achron, a classic pirush on chess. I, I always point out, one of, one of the delicious things about our Masara is to have some of, sometimes some of the most profound and fundamental questions are discussed in the framework of a very technical, very, uh, very uh, formal halachic question. So the Karanara discusses this question of popular sovereignty, whether, wh- 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 whether power is vested in the king or the people, in the context of the halachas of Karbanas. He says, he brings the Yerushalmi. The Karanara says that ultimately... Uh, popular sovereignty is the rule that if whoever the people choose for the melech, he becomes the king. It's a discussion in the post game. We're not going to get into it in the in, in among the different mafarshim. We're not going to get into it now about the Torah says Asher Yivchar Hashem Alokecha that he's supposed to choose someone who Hashem wants. Some the Sifri says that means he chooses via nevuah by Yerim Batumim. Some mafarshim say others say it's the people's choice. Some mafarshim debate this whether it's ultimately he's supposed to appoint a melech Hashem's cho- choice or your choice and uh, or both. But the, the Karanara says it's ultimately telling on the people. Anyone the people choose to accept as a melech has the authority of the melech in halacha. And they also have the, have the authority to remove him. 
they, they can depose him. We've discussed this in the past, the, the right to revolution, whether people have the Abarbanel himself, despite the fact that he was anti-king and pro-democracy, Abarbanel takes a remarkably reactionary position about how there's no right to revolution once you accept the king, even if, even if it's ultimately based on popular sovereignty, once you select the king, you, can never, you, you, you forfeit all power to him, and it's irrevocable, and you can never breach that social contract, and, uh, and he has permanent power, and you can't judge him. But the Karanara says they can. The people have the right to withdraw their support from the king, and uh, he becomes ice king. Where do you see that? He says, Yushalmi, Talmud Yushalmi. Yushalmi says, when David was suffering through the merit of Shalom, the rebellion of his son of Shalom, at one point, uh, the, the popular, popular, uh, the the popular sentiment was with Avshalom that they had sided with Avshalom against David. So at that point, Yushalmi says, so we know that Parshas Vikra, when, when a person does a chait, he brings a carbon chatas. So there are different there are different types of people. Ordinary people bring a chatas yachid, kispor seira. The Sanhedrin brings parhalam davershal tzibur. The kohen gadol brings his own carbon, and the nasi, the melech according to Chazal has a special din, a special carbon that he brings. So the Rishalmi says, what status did David have while he was on the run from Avshalom? Miskaper b'seira kehediyot. Rishalmi says he would have brought the carbon yachid at that time, despite the fact that he had been a melech previously, because the people had transferred their support from, from him to his son Avshalom, he had lost the status of a melech, the Rishalmi says. Even though he had, um, he had Meshicha, with, you know, the Shevon HaMeshcha, and it was done al Piyadibur, nevertheless, if the people withdrew their support, he became, he lost the status of Melech. So the Karanar also says that ultimately, even if we have a Melech, he does say that the popular sovereignty is behind the Melech, that ultimately the people choose who the Melech is, and if the people decide he's not the Melech, then he's not the Melech. In general, going beyond these political science questions of what is the Torah's attitude toward, toward different types of, uh, of government, we do find the basic idea of democracy, we, the basic idea that, that popular sovereignty is the source of legitimacy of government, we do find this idea in various other contexts in halacha. One of the most famous examples of this is a passage in the Rashbam. The Gemara says, in a handful of places in Shas, the Gemara says, Dina d'malchusa dina, halachic principle that the law of the government, whatever the secular government passes laws, those laws are binding, are valid. If the government collects taxes based on its laws, it's not stealing. There's a difference. It's not just a bigger, stronger bandit. It's the, that, 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 that's legitimate. That, that the government has the right to do that. Dina Malchusadina. Eminent domain. They could take private property to make infrastructure and so on. So the Rashbam says, why? So the Mepharshim give different theories for why. Where does, Alpi Alacha, Alpi Torah, where does the power of the government derive from? Rashbam says, all the laws, taxes, and so on that the Malachim are accustomed to do in their kingdom, are dinahu. Why? Because all the members of the kingdom accept willingly the laws of the king, the laws of the king. Now, the Rashbam doesn't mean democracy. There was no democracy where he lived in medieval, in medieval uh, Europe, and certainly in the time of Chazal, these were not democracies they were dealing with. Putting aside the Roman Republic in general, they were certainly not dealing with democracies. But the... The Rashbam is saying, in, 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 a, in a more general sense, ultimately the people, I guess by not rebelling, by, by tacitly accepting the authority of the government, that's where the government's power derives from. It derives in a, in, in maybe not full democracy, but it derives because the people, grudgingly or willingly, on some level, the people accept the government, and that's where the government's power get, gets its legitimacy from. Very powerful idea. And Rav Kook, in Mishpat Cohen, Rav Kook writes... That this is not that that, the, that from another from another perspective he says this idea, this idea that the this idea that the melech has certain power, he's not discussing Din Melchus specifically, but the idea that the melech is recognized in Allah as having certain power is not limited to a formal melech with all the rules of melech. It applies to any form of government a nation chooses. He says that the. He, the original question he's dealing with is Malchus Chashmonaim, if, 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 is the, the, the Molchamas of the Malchus Chashmonaim, the wars that they waged. If to wage war you need a Melech, at that time they had no, they, at, at that time they, they didn't have, uh, they, they didn't have proper Malachim. He brings, he brings a whole discussion, do you need a Navi to have a Melech or not? 
He says that, you know, arguably they didn't have proper malachim, so how can they have wars? So some, some of the wars he says were pushed, they were self-defense. They were dealing with tyrants who were trying to engage in shmad. That's not a question, he says. But later wars, which were perhaps more wars of choice, he said, how can they do that? So he goes back and forth on this question, but he says, Nirim hadvarim, that when there's no melech, the, the prerogatives and the authority of the melech devolve on whatever form of government the nation has. He says, whatever government it is, he says, the shoftim, the time of the shoftim, whatever government the nation has, they have the status of a melech. We don't have to get hung up on specifically the form of the monarchy, he says. At the end of the day, the, the government of the people is legitimate, um, is legitimate regardless of whether it's in the form of a monarchy or not. When it comes to Dina Melchusadina, so we said, Rashbam says that Dina Melchusadina is ultimately based on the will of the people, the consent of the governed, well before the Enlightenment. We find a number of posts in the 19th and 20th century deal with the question, generally speaking, whether the principle of Dina Melchusadina, which Chazal and the Rishonim apply to kings, whether it applies to modern democratic governments as well. The Akronim try to go through all the different theories the Rishonim said for why Dina Melchusadina. Some of the Rishonim said a very feudal, F-E-U-D-A-L, approach that uh, the land belongs to the king. If, 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 you're, you're here at his pleasure. If you don't like it, leave his land. That, that's where his authority derives from. I mean, today that's certainly not the case. The government doesn't own private land. And I, and they have eminent domain. They have certain rights over it, but the government can't just expel people. Can't just expel me if uh, so, so it's the other way around. We, we, we believe that, the, again, we believe more like the Rashbam, that the power comes from us rather than that our staying here is at the pleasure of the king. So maybe that doesn't apply to democracies, but the, so the post can go back and forth. But at the end of the day, the post can generally do, most post can agree that Dina Melchusadina does apply to modern governments, even though they're not monarchies, even though they're very different from the governments in the time of Chazal. This point is made by Shmuel David Monk in Chuvas Pa'asadacha, by... By Rabbi Lazar Meir Pryl and his Sefer Amar, Chuas Amar, and others have, have made the same. Chavadat, Ravadi Yosef, a number of posts have made this, this basic point that the that Rabbi Yehuda Silman, that the that the Din Melchusadina still applies. That the that 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 it still applies. He says that the that uh, that you can argue whether in theory. There should be Dina Melchusadina in democracies. There shouldn't be, he says. But he says, for five generations already, democracy is everywhere, and the Akronim have always ruled with Dina Melchusadina wherever it applies. Dina Melchusadina is a complicated principle, but they've always applied it to democracy. So clearly that's the halacha. That, uh, and this is the consensus of almost all poskim that we do apply Dina Melchusadina to democracies. There is one holdout, the uh, Mishnah Halachas, who's often a... Uh, from Nasha Klein, who's often an extremist about these types of things, he argues that that Dimechusadina is not valid in modern democracies. He suggests because he quotes from the Rashba that from the Rishonim that say that it's only the law. Now the Rishonim tells us it's not limited to the, to the king. If the king, if there are governors or lower officials, that's all included in Dimechusadina. However, they say it doesn't apply to judicial law. It doesn't apply to the decisions of courts necessarily. What that means exactly? How to apply that to a modern? system where there are three branches of government is, is a question, but Menashe Klein seems to assume that if the courts have significant power, then that uh, eliminates the ability to Dina Melchusadina. Yadua, he says, in Medina Zoo, that activist judges, and there are juries, he says, which is even worse, he says, they take 12 drunks from the street who never learned law, and they're, and they're uh, scoundrels, he says, and they decide he says, certainly in such cases, you don't see the Melchizedina. Ramasha Klein's uh, approach is very unpersuasive. Jury, juries do not make law. Juries convict individual, individual people or, or decide individual cases. Juries don't establish laws. He says uh, the fact that the courts can, can have judicial review, they can, they, they can, they, the fact they can overturn the government's laws, that means no Dina Melchizedina, he says. Or maybe, maybe he means just that, he says, that, the, that those, those laws that they establish, I don't know, he, he, has a, he has a somewhat extreme position that he's reluctant to say Dinah Melchizedina on modern uh, United States uh, democratic government, but he's very much a minority, an outlier view. The post in general have said that Dinah Melchizedina does apply in modern democracies. There is an opinion, it appears in the Sefer Oli Yoshua of the of Rabbi Shua Penchas Bambach, he's quoted as saying, a tshuva by his son, I think, that not only is there Dina Melchizedina on democracies, it applies even more 
it applies even more broadly than it applied in earlier, in earlier generations. Earlier generations, in the, the, the Rishonim and the Akronim, the Gemara, the Rishonim, the Akronim, when they were talking about the Dina on non-democratic governments, there they had certain rules. For example, there's a, there's a famous Shach who says, we don't see Dina Mochusadina for a law that contradicts the Torah. Certainly we don't say it about, let's say, Chil Shabbos or about eating trade, but even in Chosh Mishpat, the Shach has a famous view that we don't see Dina Mochusadina when the law directly contradicts the Halacha and Shulchan Aruch. A lot, a lot of debate about what that means exactly, and we pass like the shach, a major debate. Some say we do, some say we don't. But the Rav Bambach says, that whole discussion about not saying when it's against Torah, that's only when it's a government that's not really democratic. Maybe you have the Rosh Bam, that in some sense they have the grudging consent of the people, but it's not, it's not a democracy, he says, it's just a Din Melech, then you have the shach, you have these limitations on Dinah Chusadina. But today he says, when, when, the, when, the, when the lawmakers are, appoint, are, are selected democratically, he says, that's the will of the people. Whatever they do, it's a republic. People don't vote directly on every ballot proposition, but in, in a democratic society, the laws are the, reflect, in some sense, the will of the people, he says. There are all kinds of studies that they tend to reflect the rich and the powerful more than they reflect the poor, but uh, in theory, at least, they reflect the will of the people. Therefore, it's not limited by these rules that it can't go against in Torah. The will of the people, in, in, a person can make whatever tonight he wants in Chosh and Mishpat. The will of the people is the most powerful thing the, 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 in, in Chosh and Mishpat. And therefore, today, in democracies, we say Din Mochuzadina to an even greater extent than we said it in the time of earlier Postkin. That then, Ezer quotes this approvingly that the, that the Knesset in Israel, he says, today we have democracy, he says, Din Mochuzadina applies even more powerfully than it applied in the time of Chazal. One other perspective on democracy, discussed this in the past, is a, is a whole doctrine that developed in the medieval period, in Ashkenaz in particular. They were talking not about sovereign government, they were talking about local government. The Jews often had the authority to manage their own affairs, their, their own cities, and their own, they had to be loyal to the overall sovereign national government, but they often had governmental authority over their own affairs. And questions arose, who decides? How do we make decisions? Who's in charge exactly? So the Maram, the mayor of Rattenberg, the mayor Barbaruch of Rattenberg, he was asked this question straight out. Someone asked him, we have a community, they can't reach a consensus, they're at loggerheads and there's no, they, they can't reconcile themselves to each, what are they supposed to do? How, how do they move forward? Very basic question, who decides? That's what government is for. Who decides? Says the Maram, everyone gets together, or at least all the taxpayers get together, that he seems to fail that the non-taxpayers don't get to vote because it's not their money being spent. Also a topic for another day. But and everyone has to express his opinion L'shem Shemayim for the benefit of the city, and they follow the rope, they follow the majority rule. So the Maram of Rattenberg established this rule that if people can't reach consensus, then they follow the rove, that they follow the will of the people, the people, or at least the taxpayers vote, and they follow the majority opinion. And, and this is basically, a, a, this is basically the principle of democracy, that, that what governs the people, again, simple majoritarianism without respect for the rights of the minorities, you know, is not the, the entirety of modern Western democracy, but this basic idea, idea that we follow the will of the people or the majority, the will of the majority of the people, the Maram of Rottenberg established, and this became a Yisod for all the later postkim, that we have a, a democratic rule. We don't appoint one hereditary leader who's in charge of, the, like a king in charge of the city. We, we follow democracy. We take a vote, and we act based on votes. Right. Right. So the, 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 there is the concept of Yerusha and Srara, of, of inheriting positions of, of authority. There is extent that the Gemara talks about this, about the Kohen Gadol, or the or the, the, or the post can talk about the Rosh Yeshiva or the Rav. There is extensive discussion about how various communal positions are inherited. Typically, though, the, 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 those, those were more like the specific functions, the, or they, they, they compare it to the king, right? That's true. There is a whole discussion about people who have certain positions of authority getting to inherit it, but at the end of the day, that, that, I never really thought about how, how that squares so much with, with this, but at the end of the day, when it comes to basic policy governance, financial governance, taxation and stuff, that the postcom seems to assume is not a hereditary position. That's something, yeah, how to square that with the idea that uh, other people who have various executive authority, their positions are inherited. It's a good question. Yes, I'm not sure. Just close with, uh, with one, one, one final pair of sources on, on, on one, one final angle on democracy. So we know the Gemara says in Brachas that when you see a king, you make a bracha. 
Shechalak mikvodo, shenasen mikvodo, whether it's a Jew or a guy, that uh, you make a special bracha on a king. Do you make this bracha on modern heads of state? Presidents, prime ministers, kings, dictators for life. Do you make the bracha on modern heads of state? So on democratic heads of state, presidents, prime ministers, post can have debated this. There were some who said yes, and many said no. Many said, no. Many said that they don't really have enough of the power and covered and authority of a king. They can't execute people. Some said they can pardon people, but they can't, uh, they don't have that much power, so they, they, they don't have, or they don't have that much covered. Uh, some, some, some argued that, you know, that the president has a lot of, in, in, in a country like Israel, the president has a lot of covered. He's above politics, or like the queen or the king of England has a lot of covered but limited power, while the prime minister or the president in the U.S. has a lot of power but, but, but he's just like a public servant. He doesn't have that much covered. I mean, he has some covered, but he doesn't have the same level of covered of a melech. Someone actually, one of the post I think Rebezer Batri actually suggests if you have the president, and maybe if you have the president and prime minister together at a meeting, you can make the bracha, because between them they have both the covered and the power. Maybe not. Maybe each one has only one and not the other. They're not combined in the same person. So, um, so but, but many posts can say that we don't make it on, the, on presidents and prime ministers because they don't have the same level of covered and, and or power that kings did. There's a tshuva from Shlomo Avineri. He was asked a while ago, and not since Ukraine, but he was asked a while ago that when Putin visited Israel, should you make the bracha on him? So that the headline of the article was something like, uh, with all due respect, Mr. Putin, you, know, we, you are not a king. So they, uh, he, said he, he gave various, various definitions of the acronym, what's considered a king in this context, and said even though he's a powerful ruler, he doesn't, he doesn't meet the... He doesn't meet the standards of king. Ah, so the question is, what, that's what I want to talk about. So what about dictators? What about people who are or absolute despots, dictators, maybe Stalin or people today in, in some, you know, some backward countries that have dictators? Would you make a bracha? So this seems to me a machlokas between Rav Asher Weiss and Rav Eliezer Malamit. Rav Asher Weiss says you would not. He says you would not make a bracha on Stalin. He says that he says we, don't, we, we would not make the bracha on on uh, so. on he, says you, he begins by saying you certainly wouldn't make the bracha on modern heads of state because like, like many posts can say they don't, they don't have the same level of covered and power that earlier monarchs did. He says so the only time to make a bracha on anybody today would be on what he calls osan malachim achzariyim those cruel kings of those backward and uh, barbaric countries, I guess, like Stalin. He says, because in, in, in enlightened countries, what he calls Medino Tamatukanot, the king and the president has no power to kill people, he says. And that, that's the courts, he says, justice. So the kings have no power to do this, he says. In, in enlightened countries, it's only a question in places like Soviet Russia, where, where they could snap his fingers and send somebody to be executed. Says Ravasher, however, we don't make a bracha on those tyrants, he says those despots. Because, he says, the bracha is made on kings whose mishpat is betzedek uviyosher. He says, not on those who, are, who do whatever they want, beshirus libam, without din, without tzedek, again, Stalin, right? He says, you, you can't make a bracha on us in mikvodo. He said, that's not a covet. He said, look at en- enlightened nations, he said, don't see that as covet. They see it as a gnaia bizayin gadol. They, they see these people as, uh, as monsters and as, as tyrants. So they, don't, they don't see them as honorable, he says. How can you say chalak mikvodo? It's a bas of adam. On, on someone that's not a covet, it's a bush and a bizayin. Mainly, he says he can't make them on anybody. He says he, says he can't make them on, on England, he says, European uh, monarchs, because they have no power. They're just covered. He says, empty covered. Covered medum of a He says, presidents, heads of state, democratic heads of state, there's no bracha. There's no kingdom, he says. They, they have limited, like we said, like, like Robert Nelson, they have limited terms. They have no power to punish, and so on, he says. And on the tyrants, he said, who, who do have all these things, that's not covered. So he says, and therefore, no, 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 no heads of state today get the bracha. The, the monarchs have pomp and circumstance, but it's empty. They have no power. Heads of, heads of state of democratic countries have power, but, they have, but, but they have no, they're not kings in any way. They're, they're limited terms and so on. They don't have absolute power. And tyrants are not covered. So it's an interesting thing because the, I'm, not, I'm not sure. In other words... He, he, he's taking a very provocative approach to how halacha evolves. If you saw, I don't know, the, the emperor uh, Nero, in the, of the Roman emperor, who was uh, a, a tyrant and a capricious person, would you make the bracha on him? 
I mean, presumably, the, the Gemara seems to say, you make the bracha on, on the malachim they knew. The malachim they knew were not that much better, I don't think, necessarily, than the malachim of the, of, the thir- of, the, of the tyrants of our time. Just back then, it was acceptable. Back then, people thought it was normal for kings to have, to be a little bit... Uh, then today, people think that this is, like he says, Rav Asher keeps saying that in the... In the in the in the in the mishpachos mishpachas ha'am misukanim the family of enlightened nations today this is seen as barbaric. I don't think it would have been seen that way uh, hundreds of years ago. So is Rosh saying that the halacha has changed? The same type of melech because back then it was acceptable to be that he would get a bracha because today this is considered a bizayon and a busha. You don't make a bracha, or does he actually think that the malachim in the time of Chazal were all Chazal were only talking about the good ones, the ones who were enlightened and uh, and uh, and good? I'm, I'm not sure. Belazer Malamed also agrees that you don't make a bracha on heads of state, but he seems to suggest that you would make a bracha on the, on the tyrants. He says, the despots. He says, not to make a bracha on democratic heads of state. Similar to Rav Asher, but he gives an additional twist. He says, they're not malachim. He says, this is what we fought about. His, we fought about this for a hundred. We had a revolution about this. We don't want a king, he said. How can you tell me that our president is called a king? We fought an entire revolution not to have a king, he says. Not, not to give them so much authority, to sharply limit and circumscribe how much power they have. That's why they had a strong parliament and an independent uh, judiciary, he says, to limit the power of the king. And that's why they have a, ter- a limit on how long he can serve, he says. He says, there are Akronim who say that the heads of state have the pardon power and so on, he says. But if you no bracha, he says. How can it be after all the revolutions, and all the milchamot that, that, that lasted for hundreds of years, he says, and finally the Democrats won. The, the, the history has sided with democracy, he says. And that to abandon, to abandon uh, monarchy and to, and to establish democracy, he says. Now we're going to say it's all the same, it's the same king? He says, no, it's not a king, he says. Pasha, it's not a king. So he agrees to Ravasher that democratic heads of state don't get the bracha. He says, what about the tyrants? He says, what about the tyrants? He says, another discussion, today we will not make the bracha on the president, the Nasiyah, the heads of state of the democratic countries, neither on the presidents, nor on the prime ministers, nor on, nor on monarchs, he says, of democratic countries, because again, the, the power is la'am kulo, the power is that we don't have melech ben melech, or even if you do, the power is to the people. Edom, that's what we have today, he says. And everything is up to the people, he says. He says, and the pardon power is not enough, he says. And then he says, the interesting thing is, he says, the same Aratos Nechshalos, Russia talks about the backward countries, he says, they have they still have some rulers that you could make a bracha of, Birchus HaMalachim. We hope, he says, we're not proud of these malachim, he says, we hope that these malachim will soon, he's also very pro-democracy, we hope that these malachim will be replaced, he says, B'Shilton Tov Yoser, and we'll have Mashiach said Kenu, but he does seem to say that, and briefly, he does seem to assume that as long as these despots remain in power, you would make the bracha on them. Rav Asher goes one step further and says that because today the, the, the modern, enlightened perception of such tyrants is negative, he says, today you don't make a bracha on them either. So again, we've seen a number of sources that are sympathetic to democracy. We've seen the Meshachach, who doesn't really comment, but who says that Bozoyat means democracy. But we've seen the Nesiv, who says that it's a choice. People have to decide. Some, some, some nations, democracy actually is a better choice for them. Some nations not. We saw the Barbanel, who says that democracy is great, that the Italian city-states are far more ideal than the kings he knew in his time. And now we have Rav Asher. We have Rav Asher Weiss, who says that the... That today you cannot make a bracha on an old, an old school, old style monarch because it's not covered. It's busha, he says. Today, having such a monarch is busha and bizayon. You can't say shakalak mikvodilabasarvadam because such a, such, a, such a type of monarchy today, he says, of the, what he calls the malachim aritzim, who can kill, such a, such a system of government, he says, ain't no covered, ela busha u bizayon.